Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Night three of the Democratic National Convention. Barack Obama gave a primetime speech. The former president framed the upcoming election in stark terms. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down if that's what it takes for them to win. It was a very different tone than the one we're used to hearing from the president. He spoke from the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. And behind him, you could see the words of the Constitution inscribed on the wall. And like his wife earlier in the week, he delivered a strong rebuke of President Trump's abilities to lead. And he warned that our democracy is at stake. Do not let them take away your power. Do not let them take away your democracy. Make a plan right now for how you are going to get involved and vote. The night's main event was the first speech by Senator Kamala Harris after formally accepting her party's historic nomination. So we're at an inflection point. The constant chaos leaves us adrift. The incompetence makes us feel afraid. The callousness makes us feel alone. It's a lot. And here's the thing. We can do better and deserve so much more. Harris argued that her experience as a public servant makes her uniquely suited for the moment at hand. I have fought for children and survivors of sexual assault. I fought against transnational criminal organizations. I took on the biggest banks and helped take down one of the biggest for-profit colleges. I know a predator when I see one. And speeches throughout the night, from Elizabeth Warren to Nancy Pelosi to Hillary Clinton, all highlighted how historic it is for Kamala Harris to be on the ticket. A daughter of immigrants, a black woman. Pelosi and Clinton wore white in honor of the 100 years of the passage of the 19th Amendment. Yesterday, we covered the Democratic platform. Today, let's look more specifically at Kamala Harris and the policies she stood for and against. Harris was elected district attorney of San Francisco in 2003. During that time, she started a program called Back on Track. It allowed first-time drug offenders to avoid prison time by instead working toward a high school diploma and getting a job. Education was a really thorny issue for her. She also implemented a very controversial policy to boost school attendance. Now, under this policy, she threatened to jail parents whose kids miss school without good reason. Technically, no San Francisco parents were ever jailed under this policy, and school attendance did go up. But when she became the state attorney general a few years later, she took the policy statewide. And because of her, some parents in other California counties did get locked up, including one mom who spent 180 days in jail. At the end of her first term as attorney general, the Black Lives Matter movement was really starting to gain traction around the country. In 2014, California lawmakers introduced a bill to require an independent investigation in every incident where police use deadly force. According to The New York Times, Harris refused to endorse the bill. In fact, she said it could lead to conflicts of interest. After all, her office worked closely with officers and would be leading those investigations. That bill eventually expired. And yet she went on to back other police reforms. For example, as attorney general, she established a public database to track police use of force and required implicit bias training. 
She also mandated members of the California Department of Justice wear body cams. And because of her, it was the first statewide agency to do so. And she continued this work when she became a U.S. senator in 2017. She teamed up with the Senate's two other black members, Democrat Cory Booker and Republican Tim Scott, to put forward a mostly symbolic bill to make lynching a federal crime. That bill ultimately failed. In 2019, she introduced a bill to decriminalize the possession of marijuana. And earlier this year, she helped draft a bill to address deadly police force. That bill was introduced after George Floyd's death. And if it becomes a law, this bill would ban the use of chokeholds and no-knock warrants in federal drug cases. It would also establish a national registry to track police misconduct. And don't forget, Harris became a U.S. senator at the same time President Trump took office. And according to Roll Call's analysis of her voting record, she's one of the Democratic Party's, quote, reliable soldiers. She's voted with the majority of the party more than 99 percent of the time. When it comes to health care and climate change, she's been left of center. She co-sponsored Bernie Sanders' bill to support Medicare for all, although she did hedge her bets here. During her presidential campaign, she made it clear that private insurance companies would still have a place in her health care vision. And she worked with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to introduce environmental regulations to protect minority communities who are disproportionately affected by climate change. And did you notice when Joe Biden announced he chose Harris to be his vice presidential pick that the stock markets didn't have any wild swings? That's because Wall Street sees her as more moderate compared to the most progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Some Democrats are advocating for major financial regulation and reform. Next week is the Republican National Convention. We'll be watching that, too. And every day we'll bring you the same kind of analysis of the party and the ticket. A 10% unemployment rate. Businesses closed for good. Salaries and paychecks slashed. More than 170,000 people in the U.S. dead. The consequences of the coronavirus pandemic have led to unprecedented devastation. Except you wouldn't know it if you're just watching the financial markets. Stocks are soaring. The S&P hit a record high on Tuesday. And it's probably messing with your mind a bit. I mean, why are stock prices so high when so many people are struggling to get by? It's always worth saying this straight out. The markets are not the economy. They're not even a reflection of the economy. They are a projection of where investors think the economy will be in the future, like a year out. And only 55% of people in this country own stocks, according to Gallup. So rising or falling stock prices don't affect our wallets equally. And there's actually precedent for markets doing well during economic contractions. Mm -hmm. According to USA Today, stocks have risen during seven of the past 12 recessions going back to World War II. USA Today also spoke to experts who offer some theories about why Wall Street is doing so well right now. First, a lot of the market's recent peaks can be attributed to one sector, big tech. While retail and entertainment services and travel sectors are all suffering, so are small businesses, huge tech companies are thriving right now and reporting record profits. Yesterday, Apple became the first publicly traded American company to hit a $2 trillion market cap. And because big tech makes up an outsized portion of the S&P 500's current weighting, when those companies do well, it can have a disproportionate effect on the index. 
And second, though the economy overall is suffering, investors believe things are getting better. The number of people in the U.S. seeking unemployment benefits, while still high, is dropping. Consumer spending is also increasing, and the housing market is heating up too. The next few weeks and months are going to determine a lot. Will Congress pass another stimulus bill? What's going to come out of the roller coaster trade war between the U.S. and China? Will a vaccine get approved? And who will win the U.S. election? There are so many questions. Good luck finding two analysts who make the same prediction. Yesterday, we talked on the show about the humanitarian crisis in Iowa after a severe windstorm tore through the Midwest. But go even further west, and California is in a state of emergency. Fires are spreading across the state, and in the Bay Area, thousands of people have had to flee their homes. The LA Times reports these fires were caused by a series of unusual dry lightning strikes. Other areas in the southwest are experiencing extreme heat, violent thunderstorms, and something called fire tornadoes. As the Washington Post puts it, the weather there has gone off the rails. Now, this is happening because of something called a heat dome, which is a major ridge of high pressure. Yeah, this heat dome developed over the past week. And since then, we've seen record-setting highs for the month of August. 117 degrees in Phoenix, 112 in Sacramento, Oakland hit 100 degrees, and in Death Valley, California... 130 degrees. 130 degrees, Duarte. The World Meteorological Organization needs to officially confirm that reading, but if verified, this would be the highest temperature recorded on Earth since 1931. Right now, more than 56 million people in the southwestern U.S. are dealing with heat warnings of some kind. And in California, for the first time in almost 20 years, heat is leading to rolling blackouts for up to 2 million people in the state. California is in a state of emergency right now. It's battling a series of fires that appear to have been caused by lightning strikes. The LA Times reported yesterday over a 72-hour period, over 10,000 lightning strikes hit the state, causing hundreds of fires. You can find links to all these stories in today's show notes page. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a rating and review. I know everyone says that, but it really does help people find us. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 